Hello and welcome to Thriving in Intersectionality, a podcast created to help you learn from professionals in the workplace who have multiple intersectional identities, from ethnic minorities, veterans transitioning into the workforce, individuals with disabilities, parents, and so many more. My name is Lola Adeyemo. I am the CEO of EQI Mindset and the founder of the nonprofit Immigrants Incorporate Inc. I work with organizations to build inclusive workplaces. This podcast was built to amplify the voices of leaders and immigrants in the corporate workplace and to give insights and guidance so people can move past their barriers and advance in their professional careers. Through interviews and solo episodes, I'm going to examine this global world of work. I know that you can learn a thing or two from my guests who have a range of experiences and stories to share. Join me as we meet new people who are successfully navigating the corporate space. Hello and welcome to the Thriving in Intersectionality podcast. My guest today is an immigrant in corporate workplace. Mercedes Soraya is the EVP Chief Intelligence Officer at Nightscope. She's an expert leader working in robotics, machine learning, artificial intelligence, and cloud technologies. She leads the engineering team tasked with building the company's core software product, the Nightscope Security Operations Center. She was a member of the founding team at Nightscope Building Security Robots and also took the company public. Mercedes joined Deloitte as a senior software engineer, leading the knowledge management team. Working with the most cutting-edge technologies, she was quickly promoted up to channel leader for ethics and compliance. Her role involved leading engineering teams to build global products. Mercedes has three computer science degrees plus an executive MBA. She has also attended Harvard and MIT. She truly believes that technology plays an important role in business success. Mercedes has been awarded the Silicon Valley Women of Influence Award plus the Leadership ABIE Award from Anita B. Hogg for all our work mentoring women. She has been working in the Tech Women Program of the U.S. State Department for the past four years. Mercedes Soraya is also a member of the United Nations Association of the United States, where her focus is on women's issues. Mercedes is an expert on robotics, artificial intelligence, self-improvement, and she's one of the immigrant women that added her voice to the conversation for my book, thriving in intersectionality. So I'm truly honored to bring her here for a conversation on this podcast today. I am excited to have a conversation with my guest today, Mercedes. Hi. Hi, how are you doing, Lola? Um, very well, thank you, and nice to have you again. So, Mercedes was one of the women that contributed her voice, her story, her perspective to my book, Thriving in Intersectionality. So, um, you can go in there to get a sneak peek of who she is, but I definitely am looking forward to a deeper dive into that um, 
experience. I appreciate so much your insights and your contribution. And I would love to um, share a little more about your experience and your um, advice for immigrants in the corporate world through this platform. So, Mercedes, let's get to meet you. Yeah, let's do that. How are you doing? Do you want to introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about your immigrant story, entry, if as much as you want to share. Where are you from originally and how did you get in here? So so I was born in the country of Ecuador, which is in the northwest side of South America. Um, I, was, uh, I was in a mid-level kind of household income. Um, and then I went to school. One of the things that happens in, in South America at the time was that women are not expected to actually go study at the university. Uh, the thing to do, especially my father said, well, you know, you, you finish your high school. Why don't you go work at the bank as a bank teller? That was like what people usually do, what women did. So, but we had, a, I had a mother, um, and when I say we, I mean me and my twin sister, um, who, who basically lived together for our whole lives. So I, I didn't know, I didn't know that part. I didn't realize you were twins. Yes. I have a twin sister. Unfortunately, it's the best thing that ever happened to me since I was born. I've had her. We've never been apart more than two weeks, but unfortunately she passed away in 2020. Um, she had an accident. So she passed away. Oh, sorry about so, that. Yeah, it's not being easy because when you've been with someone for your whole life, even before you you were born, it's, it's yeah. kind of tough to, to, to get through that. But, uh, but you know, she's with me every day. I really believe it. And mm-hmm. I just keep going with the things that she always encouraged me to do. For example, talk about women, talk about how to inspire women and things like that. Yeah. So, when, so when I was in Ecuador... Uh, one of the things that we decided to do was don't listen to your dad. So my mom was a really very fiercely independent woman, and she wanted her children to be the same. She wanted her girls to have any opportunities that they, they wanted to have. So she basically said, what do you want to study? What do you want to be when you're old, when you grow up, basically? And uh, my sister wanted to be a, a computer electronics person, and I wanted to be a software engineer person. So even against my dad's wishes, she said, go, and that's what you're going to study. And that's what we did. So, and then when we were in the university, just, we happened to, I happened to find out about an exchange program that the university just kicked off that year when we graduated. And they had talked to a university here in the, in the United States, a university in uh, Middle Tennessee State University was the name. Uh, and they had an exchange program that said, bring 20 students from Ecuador and we'd take 20 students from the U.S. to Ecuador. So it was a tough process. There were 5,000 people who applied to come to the United States. Uh, and then my sister and I were selected as part of the top 20. Now, one thing that you know, and all the immigrant women in this channel know, is that if somebody tells you you're going to the United States, you don't ask what school you're going to, and you don't ask what state you're going to. You just go. So, right. <laughs> so that's what we did. We packed up our suitcases, and we came here with like $100 in our pocket and our suitcases, and we were here to study. So that's how we ended up here. Um, my sister was fundamentally the person that kept me going every day, and I did the same for her. Because as you and many of the people who listen to this podcast know, 
it's very difficult to change from where you were born. The culture where you are is probably very different to the culture that you have in the United States. So right. um, there were many things. Especially that, when you come as an adult too, right? Yeah, I mean, we, we were already formed. We came as 20-year-olds. So, so there's a lot of stuff that you already know from home, and then you find this country and this culture that is very different. So it took, a, it took some time for us to adjust for the first two years that we were in school and our, doing our bachelor's degree. Um, we didn't talk to anyone because our English was good, good enough to pass the tests, good enough to get a sent here, but it wasn't good enough to be immersed in a culture that all you hear on the radio, TV, and everybody who's talking to you is English. So that was really difficult. We were very quiet for the first two years. And then in the second, when we decided to get a master's degree, then is when we felt comfortable. We now knew the language. We could communicate. We could make friends and that sort of thing. Do you also think because you had each other, that was helpful? Because oh, yeah. you each other, right? Like you're each other's best friend. <laughs> yeah, there were, there were many times in which my sister wanted to come back home. And there were many times when I wanted to go back home. I was like, I just can't take it anymore. I need to leave. I want to go home where everything, everybody knows me. Everything is comfortable. I know everything about it. Uh, but then between the two of us, she will say, no, we need to stay and finish what we came to start. Or, or I will tell her, no, don't cry. We're going to stay here and achieve our goal, which was to get a education here in the United States. Wow. That's amazing. Well, I'm glad you had that support system, uh, knowing how hard it can be, especially coming in as a student. Um, yeah. And like I mentioned, there were 20 of us who came from the, from Ecuador. And the funny part was that the people from Ecuador were the least supportive in terms of, uh, if we want to stay here. Because it was hard. A lot of them went back. A lot of them had families, had children, and they just couldn't—they um, just couldn't take the fact that they were away from their families. And I understand that because they had wives and children who were in Ecuador. So they did their studies for a year or two. You know that is valuable in your country. Even if you come to the states for like one year, it already helped in your country. You get a better job. So a lot of them went back. Uh, and then my sister, myself, and another person were the only ones who ended up staying for the uh, bachelor's degree and then continuing to a master's degree, oh, which is uh, something that we really we, we really wanted to be able to do. Right. Oh, that's good. Yeah, well, thank you for staying because I know that we're going to get into the corporate in a little bit, and I know that, you know, you are really in your role, in your job. You're really making an impact in that space for, for women, for immigrants, so... And, and in the tech space as well. So um, what was your master's in focusing and then what was your transition into corporate America like? Yeah, so my master's degree, I was in computer science and my, and my, my bachelor's degree was also in computer science. My specialty was artificial intelligence. So but the funny part was that when you come to the United States as a student, you get a student visa, which is called a J-1. And then that doesn't allow you to stay after you graduate. So, and what I wanted to be able to do was to stay in the country, not just uh, for two years. I decided that I wanted, in, the, in Ecuador, there's not that much opportunity for someone with a computer science degree. There's no Microsofts, there's no Googles, there's no Facebooks, all those things are not in South America. So the opportunity for somebody with a degree in computer science is very small in South America. So I was able to see that and determine that if I wanted to really be successful, I had to stay here. 
So the funny part was when I, I was about to graduate with my master's degree, I applied to a hundred different companies. And out of those hundred different companies that I applied for, I sent my resume to basically, uh, three of them called me, actually called me back. And I did interviews with all, with those three companies. And out of those three companies, only one company was willing to give me a job and to work on my work authorization so I can stay in the United States. So there was no choice for me. I didn't get, uh, I didn't get to say, oh, I have all these offers and I wonder if I can do that. That wasn't the case. In that, at that time, probably 20 years ago, companies weren't sponsoring uh, students as much uh, to stay and work in the United States. So mm -hmm. I had to take that job, the only one that was offered to me. Uh, and in hindsight, the company was great. The company was Gibson Guitars. They make music and instruments. Uh, and I had a master's degree in computer science. And the only job I was able to get was updating a website which wasn't a coding job and it didn't require to have a master's degree and just about anyone can do that. Right. But it was the only company that would sponsor me and the only company that gave me the job. So I decided I don't care what the job requires. I can forge my own path once I'm in the company, but I really want to just take the job. Uh, and I did. And cause something similar happened to my sister and she also just got one job offer and she took that job. She worked at a company called Square Day. So the only companies that would support us were the companies that helped us start here because otherwise we wouldn't be here without those two companies. Um, so what we had to do was once uh, I started working at Gibson, um, I had to forge my own path in terms of taking initiative and going to the IT department and saying, hey, I know how to do uh, ERP systems or I know how to do a customer relationship system. Uh, I can help you with this or just finding ways that I could use it, the technology knowledge that I had. Uh, and I was lucky enough, I would say, uh, obviously I put a lot of work into it, but the company was open to that. The company was open to the suggestions I was making. And when you're looking for a job, what I would say to all the women immigrants that are out there looking for a job here in the States, my suggestion to them is just take the job that you're given. Then you can forge your own path. Then you can find you have the time, you have the support in your work visa, and in the same company that you're in, you can find where you fit in, where you can use your qualifications and your uh, your knowledge to actually get the job that you that you would probably want. Yeah, no, that's that's a very important point that you already brought in right there. Is um, it's hard, you know? We're not saying there's not work to be done in the side of you know companies and recruiters in terms of being better at uh, inclusivity for, for immigrants during the application process. Like that's another topic on its own, <laughs> but you increase your chances of getting a yes, but oh my gosh, 100 applications. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and we used to send the resumes and very thick right. paper and mail them to the companies. And, oh and I was like, oh, come on, I have a master's degree. I had a, a perfect GPA. I was like, oh, this should be easy. I should have a lot of options. And there was, it ended up with just one, uh, even though being the best student, it was, I graduated with honors, uh, you see, and even then it was only one option for me to stay. Wow. Yeah. I yeah, mean, I'm just thinking of how many applications I, I mean, I know I sent a lot of applications, but even in this age where it's so easy to apply, right? Because hopefully you can just do it digitally. Um, 
it was it's still a, a lot of times we don't apply for that many at once right we just think if i do a couple and and then we get frustrated so there, there's there's work to be done there but you persisted you put it in and thank god for that one um and then another thing is it wasn't the right job it wasn't yeah. the right qualification for you it wasn't the right job but one of the things that we have to do uh especially as immigrants is sometimes show our value uh, sometimes because we're immigrants, companies don't really see the value that we can offer. Sometimes they hire you just because they have a diversity and inclusion quota that they want to fill, right? But it's on us to demonstrate the value that we can offer and to find a job that we think is perfect for us. I, I truly do believe that uh, any company that offers a job to an immigrant um, is doing something good, not just for the immigrant itself, but also for the company itself, because there's a lot that we can teach others. And, and there's things like, um, how do you behave at work? How many hours you're putting at work? Because we come from a come from countries in which it takes so much to find a job and it takes so much to keep a job. Sometimes the values that we have are something that companies uh, can actually appreciate a lot. And appreciate, yeah, yeah. So. Um, so how did you make a transition? What do you currently do now? Because I think it's it's also important for the people listening to really help us map that path for yourself from your first job as a computer science master's degree holder, your first job as a website person um, to what you currently do now. So if you could share with us what you currently do and, and what industry you work. So right now I worked uh, for a company that I was the, is in, the Sil- in Silicon Valley called Nightscope. And I now work on what I actually studied, which is artificial intelligence and robotics. So um, I do a lot of uh, secure, what we call security robots. And what, what, what those are, are if you think about a security guard uh, at your college, at the mall, or anywhere you see a security guard, that job is very, very boring. And because it's very boring, people don't like to do it. There's a 300% turnover rate in that job. So if you hire a security guard for a year, you're probably going to get four different ones in that year because they don't like the job. So what we decided to do, me and two other people, we decided to automate that job. So we decided to work with robotics to be able to automate the job of a security guard. And we created a robot. And what the robot does is it has about 60 sensors in it uh, that determine uh, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of cameras in that robot. There's a lot of sensors in it that tell you temperature, that tell you how the environment is. Uh, we detect things like a shotgun. We detect things like uh, if there's a person in a place that should not be at. And we do all of that with the technology that I learned in college. Now, even though I had to, after after I graduated from college, I did my, um, my master's and my bachelor's degree at Middle Tennessee State University, but what that gave me was the opportunity to apply to MIT, which is Massachusetts, Massachusetts Institute of Technology, which is really the number one university for AI and robotics in the world. So um, I did some studies there for artificial intelligence, even after I had already had 15 years of experience. So one of the things that I would recommend for people that are listening to this podcast is you never really stop growing. The, the, especially in things like technology or, or that kind. I honestly think in any type of job, any type of profession, 
you should be a person who learns and, and make sure that you learn something new on a daily basis, if not more often. So it does help you get to uh, other different careers. For example, right now, my title is an executive vice president of software engineer and chief intelligence officer. So I'm a C-level executive. And the path from I started being a website analyst to now I'm an executive vice president, C-level executive, was not an easy path. It was, it was full of little banana peels that people throw just because you're an immigrant. I mean, I can tell you stories if you have time, but I can tell you all of the banana peels yes. that have been thrown in my path that it's just like some days you wonder, you're like, should I stay here or should I go? Uh, I'll give you an example, right? So when I, after I left uh, Gibson, I went to work for a company called Deloitte that I'm sure everybody kind of knows what it is. It's a massive professional services firm. And I did uh, information technology for them. So I was in charge of the HR systems, all of the compliance systems, the ethics, ethics systems, and that sort of thing. And then when I had, I had my first uh, management job, because um, I did a lot of studies when I was a senior engineer, I decided that for me to be able to uh, go above in, the, on, in my job and to have better, better positions was to um, go study somewhere, right? So I took some classes at um, Harvard Business School uh, and then that prepared me for management and leadership. So, and then when I went to the interviews for the management position, uh, I, I was done with the interview and then I asked the people and, who were interviewing me and, and keep in mind that was already at Deloitte. So everyone who interviewed me, I had written you. So I said, is there anything else that you guys would like me to ask to, to answer uh, anything that I can tell you about me uh, or about the job that I've done uh, so, so I can get this job, the job of manager that I was applying. And one guy, this white uh, middle-aged guy, typical guy says, you know, there's one thing you could do. And I said, what is that? And he said, my car is outside in the parking lot. You can go wash it. He told me that right in the interview. And I, and I, I was, I was shocked. So I was quiet. But I didn't you know understand. Was he trying to make a joke or what? He was not because I knew him. I knew him from before. There's a difference between making a joke and just really being uh, not nice to people. And he has, uh, he had this thing about, he was just not nice to people. He always tried to do those things too. I wasn't the only person he did that to. So I could have just stayed quiet and I could have just thought, you know, maybe he was just joking and I would be going with my life. But I decided that I decided that, you know, the company is interviewing people who come from outside the company to, to this position. So if he makes those types of jokes, if he thinks it's a joke, or if he makes those type of comments to another woman, to another person applying, the, um, how the company is perceived outside will be really bad. So I decided right. to go talk to the woman who at that time was my boss, who happened to be her boss as well. And I told her, look, this is what happened in this interview, and I don't think it's appropriate. And she completely backed me up. She said, you're right. Even if he thought it was a joke, which we knew he was right. going to say that, uh, that is not appropriate. You shouldn't say that in an interview. Is a place of work. It shouldn't happen. So, yeah. so that got resolved that way. I didn't have to do anything else. My manager talked to him. He apologized, and I'm not one to hold grudges. But that was uh, my question to him was: if he had been uh, an American person in that interview, would you have made that joke, or would you have said that? And the answer was no. So that was one. 
And there was another one when I did get the job. After that, they they did give me the job. And then I had another person who was who was interviewing for the same job. And he comes to me and he says, you know that the only reason why you got that job is because you're Hispanic, you're a woman, and you're in technology, and they need to meet their diversity and inclusion goals. Otherwise, you're not qualified. And he told me that in front of in front in front of like five people. And then again, I was like, in, in our in our country, we don't uh, at least in Ecuador, you don't find people who are that harsh very often. So I was, I was quiet, and then I could, I didn't know what to say. And then eventually, uh, I kind of sort of thought about it, and I said, you know, that is not the case. I got this job because I'm qualified, and I can do the job, and I have proven with my qualifications and my work at this company for already five years that I'm qualified to do this job. And not only I'm qualified, but I will show you how well I can do this job. Mm-hmm. And then, and then you know, karma is a, is a great thing. Two years <laughs> later, he got fired because he, he wasn't doing the job that he was supposed to be doing. And I was still at the company. So yeah. that's yeah. kind of stuff. And, and, and these are only some of your stories, right? <laughs> no, that's just some of them. I mean, I can go on. <laughs> I can yeah, go on no. forever. The, the part of the reason why um, my work my work in the DEI space really got really um, interesting and meaningful for me is when I began to really talk about being an immigrant. Because I realized that, you know, being in the DEI space is almost like you have to find your niche. But then when you are looking around at other people and trying to find what they are talking about, instead of coming out and speaking from your own perspective and experience. Um, and for me, I, I saw that it was missing that immigrant perspective and that, that unites us so much. Like it doesn't matter where you're from, right? I'm from Africa. I talk to people from who are even from Europe and maybe looks white and just some of the differences that we perceive or the way we are, uh, uh, um, approach things because we are immigrants, because we are from a different culture. And so there's the culture of our country. There's also the culture of the country we're in, so America, what's going on in America, and then there's the company culture that you yeah. are in. So so sometimes the company itself is toxic, and you know that there are mean people. Not everybody is like that. Um, but there's also, you know, we don't use the word because the media makes that word sound like a dirty word, the word immigrant, right? Yeah. And, and so for those of us who are in corporate America and we're working and working hard, there's not a lot of perspective that we're bringing to all of this conversation. It's almost like it's not my business. I'm just going to work hard, do my work and, and move up. So, yeah. so, so there is an organization called Chief, uh, if you've heard of it. And it's basically it's a company that what it does is it, it helps support women in executive levels. So I'm a member of that other organization and there's a lot of different groups that you can belong to the people who are part of the board of the board uh, uh, group part of the beauty group part of the startup group and there's all kinds of things and then uh, you anyone in the organization i think there's about four thousand women now in chief uh you have to go through a very rigorous process to be accepted to be in the chief network um and then one of the things that we find out is a, there is we created a group for immigrants, which is interesting. And the conversations that we have in the uh, personal finance group 
in the events group or in the board meeting group uh, are very different than the conversations that we get and we form the, the Latin group uh, and, uh, and chief. And the conversations are so different, right? Yeah. The conversations yes. in, in, the, in the regular, I would call them regular groups, are always based on, okay, I'm a C-level executive. How do I succeed and become a CEO? And there's this goal. There's just the number one goal of C-level executives is they want to become CEO. And that's what they talk about. That's what all of the workshops are about. And that's what they're interested in. But we created the Latin and we invite other, other um, uh, nationalities as well to our Latin group. And the conversations that you have there are so much more collaborative, so much more, how do I help you do X? Who, who can I mentor? Does anybody need some mentoring? There's a lot more of soft skills and things that might be, in my view, more important even that how do I become a CEO? Uh, we bring perspectives from women who were raised in Mexico and they came to the United States. Women who were raised in Nigeria and they come to the United States and they are now C-level executives. The, the focus on those things are, hey, how are you doing with your family? Uh, how do you need support with? What kind of things are you learning? Opposed right. to just this massive competition and I will be the, the CEO next, which is what happens on the other channels. And I think all of that becomes because of the values that we have in other countries. Uh, we don't, in other countries, we value living a peaceful life. Uh, we value having friends. We value a support system. We even value different food, right? Uh, <laughs> so the conversations that we have and the way that we support each other is very different. Sure that and the ones that um, that every, all they care about is how to become CEO. Right. And I think we don't have that enough. Again, you know, we don't have that enough. We don't have spaces where we get to talk about our experiences being immigrants and the unique needs. Uh, yeah. To, but, 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 work. yeah, I agree. I agree with that. Um, but, but, but the key is that uh, if it doesn't exist where you are, what I would say to the listeners of this podcast if those support groups don't exist in your workplace or wherever you're working, just start one. Just, just start, start one. one. Yeah. If it doesn't exist, you, you can start it with one person, even if it's just you in the first meeting. Just right. start it. And little by little, people start coming in and they start to see the value and they join and the yes. groups become a lot bigger. Yeah, but the power of community. So um, with EQI Mindset, I work with employee resource groups directly. So one of the things that I'm working on for immigrants in corporate and uh, now is um, a community for immigrants in corporate. So there's a group on, on LinkedIn. And, and the idea is let's start to have these conversations. Let's start to form a community outside of our workplace where immigrants can get resources and programs and training. Um, because we, we're not talking about your technical qualifications. You know, you're already high in the company. We know you can do the job, but there's a lot more to doing the job and advancing in corporate America. Um, than what is what is uh, we talk about in the workplace, right? Because nobody is bringing in the perspective of our cultural um, values and upbringing. So one of the things that um, we also talked about, um, or that I learned during the process of writing my book, <laughs> is the word uh, immigrant. There are actually a few women that I interviewed for my book that were born in the U.S. and they identify as immigrant. Oh, yeah. And, and so the, the word immigrant and the spectrum. So for me, I also moved at age 25, right? When I started writing the book, that was my focus was for people like us that grew up somewhere else, 
we are struggling with this American culture and the corporate culture. And so I focused on immigrant women in corporate America for the book. And some of the women um, that I talked to were born here, but they were born as immigrants um, to immigrant parents. And they have immigrant siblings. And so for them, they were, it was almost like they were not born here because they were surrounded um, by a lot of like heavy influence of their home country culture. And so very, very involved back home, you know, some, some women that didn't even speak um, English until they got to school. Right. So, so those kind of uh, perspective on, on that word immigrant and what it means that there are immigrants, immigrants, there are U.S. citizens who are first generation and they're immigrants. For few, like yeah, exactly. So, so I think um, that uh, for the immigrants incorporate nonprofits Inc. I kind of expanded it, and even for the podcast. So we have guests that are not women. We have guests that are not in corporate America, but they are in the corporate workplace, yeah. right? And they moved. They were raised in a different country, and they moved to another country. So that helps to center this conversation around corporate, the corporate culture the expectations in the corporate culture, the expectations around this corporate culture and why we, um, why it's so hard for people to advance in there and, and how as, as immigrants, we can leverage our unique advantage um, yes. to thrive. So when you think about you know, yourself and your story and your advancement, how do you think being an immigrant has helped you to navigate and successfully thrive in the, in the corporate work culture? So something that I have seen, and, and I don't mean to, to bash Americans or, or other people, but one of the things that we, we learned in Ecuador, which is where I'm from, uh, from a very early age is, it's very important for you to study, 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 study. Your career is very important. If you want to get anywhere, the best gift that your parents can give you is an education. So my mom used to say, you're never going to get a massive amount of money when I pass away. But by golly, you're going to get an education. That's going to be what I will give you. And, uh, and that was awesome. And she did. And that's what she keeps doing to this day. And what she did is she instilled on us, me and my sister, um, this idea that working at school was the main focus that you could have at that time. It's the most important thing you can do when you're a teenager, when you're in college, just focus on your education and work hard. Um, because as you know, in, in other countries, it's very difficult to, either the country is not developed enough, like for example, in Ecuador, um, there's a lot of people who study and they graduate and they get a doctor's degree or whatever the degree is, um, but then they have to work as a taxi driver because the, the country itself is not ready for the jobs that they just studied for. There are no openings for those jobs. So one of the things that we learned a lot was you have to be the best, you have to be the best, you have to put all the effort that you have. And that is what I have translated into what I do here. I probably outwork every single one of the people that I work with. I do, sometimes it's, it's a joke for us in the company that Mercedes doesn't sleep twice a, twice every week. She stays up and she works all night. Uh, and that is and that is all and that is all coming from what my mother taught us. She said, "Hard is gonna be hard, but you have to do it. You do whatever you have to do." And there's a lot of people that I see in corporate America that are. Uh, and again, I'm not bashing U.S. citizens, but um, there's a lot of thinking of 
okay, I got this job. The company owns me all of these things. The company owns me a massive salary. The company owns me uh, a bunch of benefits. The company owns me all of these things. And I'm kind of doing this company a favor by working here, which is completely the reverse of what immigrants do. As an immigrant, you are very thankful for any opportunity that you get because you know that where you came from, you probably came here because you didn't have that opportunity there. Otherwise, you wouldn't have come here. So for any opportunity that we're given, we are always likely to work five, six, seven times harder than the people who never had to suffer as much as you had to. For the people who never had to stay away from their families to come to a different country. The people who didn't have to uh, learn the language that they were not familiar with. So we appreciate those things much more and we put a lot more work into everything that we do. And I think that is what has helped me get to the position that I am today, to the point that I can now help women from other places in the world. Uh, I do this through the State, State Department in the US. So I work with women from, South, from Africa, from Southeast Asia and from Europe that come to this country to learn about entrepreneurship. And I am one of the people who coaches them in terms of they have problems that are local problems to their countries. Uh, and they come to try to solve them with technology here in Silicon Valley. And I and the State Department actually asked me to come and be one of the people who coach the, those women that come every year. So, and, and all of that is, is to say that you have to, another thing that we do when we are immigrants is we know that we have to work hard, but we also know that doesn't stop, right? We know that I could be a C-level executive, I could be a CEO tomorrow, but I know that I need to work hard to stay in that position. Therefore, I have to prepare myself, I have to never stop studying, I have to never stop learning. And I think that comes from our history, comes from how we have gotten here. That's how we've made it here. Yes. Yes, no, that's that's a good starting point for this, is the perspectives are very different, right? The perspectives as an immigrant, as somebody that is not an immigrant who is in the US, there's a there's more of an entitlement, which is rightly so, right? Like this is my country, this company holds me. That's the perspective that you might bring into the space. But no immigrant is coming into the corporate workplace with an entitled mindset. You don't yeah. feel like you owe you anything. You feel like you owe because of your gratitude. Um, although I would put a caveat at the end of that to say that's part of why a lot of immigrants struggle, though, is taking that too far and forgetting that working hard is not necessarily working smart, right? So mm -hmm. you have worked so hard and you have advanced um, I think what the danger and the trap of just keep on working hard and keeping your head down that immigrants fall into is not doing not doing work with a vision in mind and with a goal or, or even finding a community so that your effort is not uh, misdirected in terms of what do I need to do, you know, talking to your mentors. Because I think you also did that as well. You asked a lot of questions. You reached out to people. Um, so it's not just working hard, it's, it's working smart, I would say, is what you have done, um, is what your career path has shown. Yeah, and also something that is interesting that sometimes we might lack as immigrants is because we haven't seen it in our country, right? Like, for example, for me, there's just not that many companies that do software development in Ecuador. So when I came here, I didn't really have a crisp vision of where I wanted to get. Right. Uh, and it took 
uh, mentors, it took years of experience, it took meeting different people for me to craft, okay, this is where I want to be in five years from now. This is what I want to be at the end of my career. So right. having a crisp vision of what that is, is what helps us work uh, and get to that position. Because sometimes one of the things that, because we are immigrants, because we're so thankful for what we're given, sometimes mm-hmm. we're like, I'm thankful for this job and I'm going to stay here, right? So, but what we should say is, I'm thankful for this job and I'm going to see how I can advance so I can get to my goals, so I can get to where I want to be in the future. I yeah. Think that yeah. So I can, I can continue to do what I'm doing. I can do more. I can do better. What, what, what are the things that I need, right? Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, it's technically our career is our responsibility, not anyone else's, basically. Yeah. That's important. I mean, no, you can't, you can't close with that. You have to expand on that because I think um, part of, I was telling somebody recently that um, a friend and I, that we, we both grew up in Nigeria and we had this conversation that part of why we struggle celebrating ourselves is because back home, it's a community feel and people celebrate you. Other people celebrate you. So that's one of the reasons that we were like just, it was like a light bulb because we're thinking about why so uncomfortable celebrating ourselves. Is it that we don't want to be celebrated? But if you think about it back home, when you have accomplishments, people celebrate, people gather, people have parties, people talk about what you, you don't need to do it. Your community celebrates you. Uh, but it's different in corporate America. It's different in the corporate culture. Um, you know, that's talking about what you do and, and finding the right people. Um, I think it's important. Yeah, and also, I mean, there's there's always opportunities if you have your eyes open, right? There's opportunities to find people that you can see in a position that you're interested in. Uh, and sometimes as, as immigrants, we, we either lack the self-confidence to say, hey, I'm going to go talk to this person uh, to see how they got to where they got, or I'm going to go talk to this person and see maybe they could be my mentor. Sometimes we feel kind of shy of asking those things, right? But the one thing I would say to everyone is don't be shy. Just ask because you don't lose anything by asking. The only person who has who has the experience of what your life is like is you. And the only person who's responsible to where your life ends is you. Uh, so there's a lot of people out there who can help. But it's, it's, it's very important that you take responsibility and that you decide this is this is where I want to do, get with my life. This is my plan. How do I get there with this plan? And that's something that we need to work on a lot. Uh, as, as immigrants, that is something that is not necessarily something that did you in, a, in, in other countries. In other countries, is, uh, like I tell you from my country, for Ecuador, we have a job and there's a lot of people who have had the same job for 30 years and they're happy with that. Right. right. So we come with that mentality and some people say, oh, I have a job in corporate America. I'm going to stay here. But and then they don't do anything else and they have the same career for 20 years. And for some people that might be okay, might be what they want, that they might just be happy with that. But for those of us who want more, um, we need to own that. It needs to be our work. It needs to be our responsibility to get to where right. we want to get to. Yes, yes. Not not your manager, not your not, it's not your, your manager, it's not your CEO, it's not your friend, not your father. Not even your company. It's not even your company, right? Exactly. It's not even the companies. I agree completely. It's not that's even the why, you know, you're, when you know what you want, sometimes if you have to move around, then that's okay. Because sometimes you know... Even, even if you have a lateral move, it's okay. So exactly. Because 
you don't have to get a raise. You might have to, you have to go from point A to point B. It might not be a straight line for you. It might be that you have to take several detours, but eventually get to where you want to get to. So uh, as long as you have that vision and you know what you really want to do, I think that's what helps you get the motivation to do that and the, the motivation to ask people for help. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll just uh, highlight some of the things you also said about the communities. I think you are very good at that. You, you know, thank you for the work you do to give back, uh, to mentor other people and to share your insights. Um, because I think, um, keeping ourselves isolated is part of how we struggle alone in the corporate workplace as well is, is find communities, find groups, um, find chat groups. It doesn't have to be a formal group. Uh, that you sign up for membership for. It could be an informal group within your community or you create one, as you said. Find spaces where you can get encouraged. Because all of these things that we're talking about, it doesn't come overnight. You don't wake up one day and realize that, you know, this is what you want to do. It's because you open up your mind and, and talk to people and find out how they got there. Um, this is how you begin to get a clearer path for yourself. So thank you for sharing all of that. And um, I, I know your details are on the show notes and people can stay connected, can follow up with any of the questions. Um, yeah, and if, if anybody wants to reach out on um, uh, in Twitter, I'm at Mercedes Horia, super simple. It's just my name. So I'm glad to engage with people. Uh, I mean, I love mentoring other women, especially in the technology field. So if anybody wants to reach out, by all means, it's just at Mercedes Horia. Yes, thank you for sharing that, Mercedes. All right, so we definitely got a lot of time spent on this conversation because I knew this was going to happen, but I still want to um, run the final question by you, Mercedes. So one of yeah. the last questions I like to ask my guests is about food. Oh, I like to food. live through travel through my guests <laughs> from yeah. everywhere. So in Ecuador, and especially Wait. in my city, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Okay. Tell me, tell me, tell me about Ecuador. <laughs> and especially in my city, my the name of my city is Ambato. The most popular dish, or the one that I think is the most popular, is called a Japingacho. What is that? Japingacho. Japingacho sounds like a weird name. Uh, but what that is, is some potato patties with fried eggs, avocado, salad, uh, and a little bit of hominy. And that is what you eat for dinner or for lunch one day. It's, so if you were to share a meal with your co-workers as sort of a potluck, is this something that you can easily make and take to work? Or is this something that is eaten in community? Or how, how does it work? Um, this is something that you can make and, and eat uh, uh, and bring in and eat it your own. But if you, if you want to share with uh, other people, then you will have to make it a little bit differently. Because then oh. you have to separate the ingredients so everybody can make the plate, right? Oh, okay. but, sort but, of like tacos. What is that? Sort of like a make your own taco bar. Make your own japingacho bar. That's the way it is. Yeah. Yeah. They call it. They call it a bar too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. All this is the japingacho bar, and then you take your potatoes. How many potato cake uh, pieces you want? And then there will be some meat, and there's the salad, the avocado, um, all those things, and you can make your own. It's kind of cool. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So is that a meal that uh, you guys have during the holidays a lot or just families? It's usually families and it's usually on the weekends. So you do that on oh. the weekend because okay. it's not easy to make, right? It takes a lot of time to make. 
So it's usually on the weekends that you go with your family and typically where they sell this is uh, you can go to the market. So we have a lot of open markets in Ecuador okay. uh, and usually there there's one, two, sometimes there might be 10 different ladies selling gachos. So that's where you go and you eat it and you sit with your family and you eat it outside and then you can you can have uh, um, the, the markets in Ecuador don't have walls. So it's all just open, open air, which is kind of nice to just sit there in the afternoon, talk to your family, uh, get, get together with friends as well, if you, if you want, and just have this dish, which is a, a very popular one. Oh, that's cool. Thank you for sharing that. Now, if I go to Ecuador, I, I won't be, I won't be surprised to hear the word because now I feel like I've <laughs> been there before. I was like, oh, I want something gacha. Yeah, that's what you got to ask for. It's awesome. <laughs> Uh, thank you for sharing that, uh, Mercedes. And thank you. Thank you so much for adding your voice to this. It was nice talking to you. And yeah, so uh, keep in touch uh, with uh, Mercedes. Uh, stay connected on Twitter primarily. And thank you for joining us again on this episode. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining me, Lola Adeyemo for these important conversations about the global world of work. Please rate and review this podcast wherever you get your podcast. And don't forget to share our weekly episodes with your communities and co-workers. For more resources and upcoming events, visit our website www.thrivinginintersectionality.com and join our LinkedIn group, Thriving in Intersectionality. Additional links and resources are listed in the show notes of this episode. Thank you.